We're going to be looking at verses 21 in chapter 16 to 28. Last week we went over verses 13 to 20. And uh, before we stand for the reading of God's Word, we'll do the whole last time on loss. No, so last time in Matthew's Gospel, if you remember, Jesus asked His disciples, who do men say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some think you're Elijah, some think you're Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter comes across with this awesome true statement you are the christ the son of the living god and jesus says blessed are you peter for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you but my father who is in heaven revealed it to you so they're all really excited peter gives this 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 awesome confession he uh, he's blessed and then jesus says something interesting he says now don't tell anybody you would think right that jesus would be like now go tell everybody but he doesn't he says the opposite don't tell anybody. And this passage, we're going to see this week why Jesus, after that beautiful confession of who he is, says, don't tell nobody who I am yet. Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Hear the very word of God to you this morning. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gain the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his glory. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative, inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Listen, everybody wants a balanced budget. Who doesn't want to have a balanced budget where you're living in, in a blessed land where, where we, we have a great economic growth, the, ba- the budget's balanced, we have plenty of extra money? Everybody wants that. But nobody wants to pay the price to balance it. Amen? Everybody wants to celebrate the victory for freedom, but no one wants to make the sacrifices to secure freedom. Look, in case this all sounds a little bit hypothetical to you, let, let's, let's get a little home to some of us. Everybody wants to fit back into those skinny jeans. You with me? But there's very few who are willing to do what it takes to get back into those jeans. I lost some weight, a little bit of weight, a few years back by the grace of God. And many people would ask, what's your secret? Now, of course, what did they mean by that? This is what they meant. They meant, what's the magic bullet? 
What's the miracle pill or what's the special diet that magically melts off fat with the least amount of sacrifice and work? Isn't that what they're asking? Be honest. They're saying, what kind of magical thing is this? But I had to tell them that the secret was actually really, really simple. Almost silly, it's so simple. I ate better and I exercised. That was it. That was the trick. Now, humans are always looking for the easy way out. Let's be honest. We're looking for the path of least resistance. But with so many things that are on this side of glory, so many things, it's so true. This old maxim, no pain, no gain. When you think about it, listen, this, this, is, this is something that God has been showing me over the last couple of years in a powerful way. It's really a matter of what you really want in life, isn't it? It's like, what do you really want? It's a matter of counting the cost for what you want and then being willing to pay for it. In general. Now, I remember there was a little magnet that someone gave me. I, I mean, I, I, I was almost a little offended back in the day. But they gave me this little magnet that said, nothing tastes as good as being thin feels. I, I guess that was supposed to be an encouragement. But in a sense, it is, right? Because it is, it is an incentive. In other words, you know, when, when you're eating all that junk food, you're eating all that cake, it might feel good for the moment, but then you don't feel about, too good for, about yourself for kind of a long time. You with me? And nothing feels so good as to be healthy and feel good and be able to do the things that you want to be able to do physically. So it's not a matter of suffering for suffering's sake or suffering so that you could try to be holier or stronger or better than somebody else. Rather, what we're doing is we're trading one thing for another. So in case of the case of the balanced budget, what do we do? We tighten the belt and we do without now so that later on in life we'll reap the rewards. Sometimes, and especially with our country, it probably wouldn't be in our lifetime. Even if we bit the bullet and did the right thing, we're looking at our grandchildren's lives, right? But if we really wanted to fix it, we would have to live that way. We would have to sacrifice, bite the bullet, do without so that in the future there would be blessing. No matter what you are, Democrat, Republican, Independent, that would have to be the case one way or another. In the case of health, you can sacrifice eating the junk food, <laughs> the processed food, and kind of fill yourself with good nutrients and things and actually get your behind off the couch and do a little exercise. And then you know in the long run you're going to have a healthier body. You're going to have a body that you're going to be a little happier about and be able to do things. Well, in our passage this morning, we find Jesus teaching his disciples all about the way of the kingdom of God. The way of the kingdom of God, and it was a big shock to Peter and the rest of the disciples at this point in Jesus' ministry, the way of the kingdom is the way of the cross. You've got to understand, when they would hear the words, pick up your cross, or I'm going to a cross, they wouldn't think like we do today, cathedrals, with a beautiful gold cross on, ooh, the cross. Or they wouldn't think about that nice cross on somebody's neck. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about a Roman executioner's cross. That's the place of suffering. That's the place of death. That's the place of agony. And just like losing weight and other things like that, the principle isn't complicated to understand, is it? 
Think about it. First the cross, and then the crown, right? First the work, and then the victory. I mean, it, there's not, it's not rocket science. But the problem is not that it's not simple. The problem that it is difficult. Amen? That it ain't easy. First, Jesus will talk about, first we have to sacrifice and deny ourselves for a greater purpose, and then we will get reward when Jesus comes in all His glory. But of course, we're going to see, it starts not with us. It starts with Him. The very Son of God became one of us. Was born to peasants. Born in a manger. Lived as a humble life as a carpenter's son. Grew up to be despised and rejected and mocked. And then ultimately had to take that lonely walk carrying his own cross to his own crucifixion. Before he would rise again on the third day and then come back eventually in glory, he had to suffer in a way that is unimaginable. No, no one in this room, none of us, will ever fully be able to comprehend what Jesus had to go through in order to bring salvation to you and to bring it to me. So what we're going to see this morning is simple to understand, but hard to follow. The way of the kingdom is the way of the cross. That's the basic message. And we're going to see this, that the truth of who Jesus is, listen, this is important, the truth of who Jesus is cannot be divorced from what He came to do. I'm going to say it again. Jesus' person can't be divorced from His mission. The two have to be together. We're going to see that in the text. So we're going to see three things. Some points are longer than others. The first thing we're going to see is Peter's confession explained. Jesus is going to fill out what Peter said. He's going to explain what it means that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And then we're going to see that confession misunderstood. Right? Peter's going to say, never, Lord, not you. And then last of all, we're going to see that confession applied to you and me. That's it. Let's take a look at the first thing. The confession explained. That is the nature of King Jesus' reign. Look at verses 21 and, and following. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Now we see in full color the main reason that Jesus forbade them from telling everyone at this point in his ministry that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because as stellar and as accurate as Peter's confession was, listen, this is important, it was only half the truth. It was only half the truth that Jesus was, is the Christ and the Son of the living God. Because notice from this time on, once they got point one, he could tell them the second half of the story. The point one was they finally, by, by revelation from God, not on their own understanding, they, they finally got, by the grace of God, that Jesus is not just a prophet. He is God himself come in the flesh to save us. That was a mind boggler. But the second part now, Jesus began with no riddles this time. You know, when, up, up to this point in the gospel, Jesus would kind of talk about his suffering and death in kind of veiled language. No more veiled language this time. Now he flat out begins to tell them 
what he's come to do. He's come to suffer, die, and rise again on the third day. So here's the point. It would be strange for them to go around telling everybody, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. If they themselves didn't even understand what that meant. That's number one. Because when, when when they would preach this, especially to Jewish folk, Jewish folk right away would think, oh great, the great son of David's going to come and free us from Roman rule and we're going to get justice on this earth now and we're going to reign now. That's the message they would have been preaching if they only had the first half. In other words, they would unintentionally be sending the wrong message. And we often kind of say this, in a sense we kind of pick on our Jewish brethren sometimes when we say how they expected the Messiah to come and clean house and be a political leader and they were wrong. Well, this is what we're going to do this morning. I want you to turn in your Bibles. I don't, I don't do a lot of cross-referencing. You know that. I don't say turn here, turn there, turn the other place. But we're going to do just a little turn in this morning. Turn to Isaiah 61. I want you to see why they didn't always see and they didn't see that Messiah had to die, suffer and die before he would come and reign. Turn with me to Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And it's okay if you don't turn because I will read it. And this is what we read. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, some of you may remember this, maybe you don't. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he goes into the synagogue, he opens up Isaiah to this very passage, and if you remember, he reads it, and you know what his, his sermon was? This passage has been fulfilled in your hearing this morning. And he sits down. Now, remember, what is he doing there? He's basically saying, that's me. <laughs> you know what I just read, what Isaiah's talking about? That's me. And then he sits down. And remember, people were enraged because they knew exactly what he was claiming to be. Now, why do I tell this story now? Well, I'll tell you why. You might not notice this if you don't look at it carefully. Jesus actually doesn't quote the last part of verse 2. In other words, he omits this part of the, of the verse. When it says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. He doesn't quote that part. Now, why would Jesus take that part out? I'll tell you why he took that part out. And why they didn't see the foretelling of Messiah's coming actually had two parts. He was not coming only once, right? He's coming once to suffer and die and to proclaim the good news. But the second time he comes, he's coming to proclaim vengeance. And so, look, look at it this way. This is one of the best ways to understand it. If you're way far away and you see a mountain range, it looks to you like one mountain. Until you travel to that one mountain, you get on top and then you go, oh, There was another one, right? And there's a long valley before you can get to that other mountain. That's the Old Testament saints. They only saw one mountain. But we, by the grace of God, we live after, we stand on the one mountain, we see there was a twofold coming foretold. The first coming, excuse me, the first coming, Jesus had to suffer and die. Because listen, 
what would happen if he came and proclaimed vengeance the first time? You know what would happen? You, me, and everybody else would be lost because there would be no sacrifice for sins. You understand that? He would have reigned, but he would have had no subjects because we all would have been taken as vengeance because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are in desperate need of his mercy and all are in desperate need of his blood to cover them. Michael Card puts it this way. Their wildest dreams simply had not been wild enough. When they imagined Messiah coming, they had all these wild dreams, but they never for a moment thought, listen, think about this for a minute. It's old hat to us because we have the New Testament and we hear about it all the time. God becoming a creature? The God who made everything, literally. He put the stars, like, calls them by name. All the galaxies. He was like, no problem. That God became one of his creation. And then, when he gets you, you think, oh, cool, he's going to rock, he's going to rain. He comes and he's humiliated. The very creation he came to save spits at him, beats him with fists, puts, mocks him, puts purple robes on him, goes, oh, the king. And then they put a crown of thorns on his head. That's amazing. That's amazing that he would do that for the very people that would crucify him. You think about that? I saw something on uh, Facebook, and it says, uh, I'm going to try something new, the person said. Every day, I'm not going to say, I hope you have a nice day. I'm going to say, I hope you get the day you deserve. You know, and they were saying, a little karma. Thank God Jesus didn't say that to us, Amen. Thank God he didn't come and say, I hope you get what you deserve. What did Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. No one expected that. So we shouldn't be too harsh on those who were looking for Jesus to come and reign right away. They just didn't see there was a twofold coming. J.C. McCauley correctly points this out. He would not allow his followers to go out with a message that lacked the note of the cross. Listen, in our day, the policy is still the same. So many times in the church, we look for power, we look for might, we look for, uh, we want to see the church reign, we want to see God reign right now. Amen? But the way that God reigns even today still, until he comes back the second time, is what? Through the cross. Through suffering. Through giving up. Not taking. This is about what, what Peter and no doubt the rest of the disciples they had to come to terms with. And let's pay careful attention to the next point that we see out of this text. And that's this. The confession explained... Son of man must suffer, die, and rise again. Now we're going to see the confession misunderstood. So as soon as Jesus tells them this, this is what, what Peter does. Look at verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And what does Peter say? Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. 
Now here we have one of Peter's most infamous blunders recorded for us in the Bible. The very apostle, listen, this is important, the very apostle who Jesus just called the rock, right? A couple moments ago he says, you are Peter and you are the rock, man. I'm going to build my church on you. And now what does he say? Get behind me, devil. You are a stumbling block. How do you you turn in a matter of seconds, right? How do you turn from a rock to a stumbling block? But on a side point, isn't that true about you and me? One moment we have this spiritual victory, we're riding high. Hey, man, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm all that. And then the next minute we turn around and we fall right on our faces. Maybe Peter was getting a little too full of himself being called out by Jesus and praised. Well, now, now you can't get a worse insult than get behind me, Satan. That's pretty rough. But notice, Jesus wasn't just being harsh and, and uh, calling him that name, just to call him a name. There's a very specific purpose for Jesus using that kind of language, and this is why. What Jesus was saying is, you right now are being the tempter. You're on the side of the devil at this moment. Let's look back real quick. In, in chapter 4 of Matthew, I believe it is, remember when the devil tempts Jesus? You remember one of the temptations the devil said? I will give you all of the kingdoms of the earth. Just bow down to me. And what you don't understand what the devil was doing, or maybe you don't understand this, the devil was saying, I'll give you all this stuff without having to go to the cross. You know, your father sent you here and you have to go to the cross in order to get to the glory. Remember we talked about earlier the secret pill, the magic pill? Just bow down to me and I'll give it all to you. And you remember what Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, right? For it is written. Well, here, Peter, for that moment, was actually being a mouthpiece of Satan. He was tempting Jesus. Jesus, you don't have to do this. And so Jesus says, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And what's interesting here is he doesn't say, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of the devil. Do you notice he doesn't say, you would think he would say that. He says, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Why would he say that? I'll tell you why. What's the way of men? Think about it today. What's the way of men? The way of men is what? Glory, not suffering. We avoid suffering at all costs. We want to be glorified. It's the way of self-indulgence, not self-denial. We want more, not less. It's the way of claiming victory, easy victories, without first putting the suffering, the sweat, the time in. We want to look good. We want to be used of the Lord. Think about it. Why do we often, I want to be used of the Lord in a big way. What are we saying when we're saying that? Do we really mean I want to be humiliated? I want to suffer so much. I want to die so that through my death someone else gets life. Is that what we really mean? Or do we mean we want to come kind of like, and everybody goes, oh, look how great he is. That's the way of man. But the way of God is, you lay your life down. In order to take it up later, yes. But first you lay it down. Certainly Jesus had to do that. One commentator says this, avoiding the way of the cross is man's way. Marching right on when the cross looms before us is the divine way. That's God's way. How 
how often we see the price. And the truth of the matter is what? We don't want to pay it. It's not we don't know the way. We don't want to walk the way. And in Jesus' case, and we'll get to us in one second, and that'll be the last thing I want to bring up. In Jesus' case, I want you to see this. Imagine if he gave in to that temptation. We'd all be lost. The price for sin would not be paid. The things that we did, we would still have to account for rather than him paying for them on the cross. Listen. I'm a big Chronicles and Narnia fan. You all know, most of you know that. I like the, the, the Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, the whole series. has really been a blessing to me. I read it to my kids when, I, when they were little, and I think I liked it more than they do, and I still do. But there's one time in the Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, Aslan the Lion obviously represents Jesus, and Lucy represents a follower of Christ, and her brother Edmund had betrayed them, if you remember that. He gave, gave in to the White Witch. And he told them the secrets about where they were. And later on, they they rescue Edmund. But Edmund, of course, was a traitor. And he was going to have to pay for what he did. And Lucy takes Aslan aside. And he says, she says, but can't something be done for poor Edmund? And then Aslan says this, all will be done. But it will be a lot harder than you think. Right? That's our Lord and Savior. He did what he had to do. But you remember how that song puts it? I'll never know how much it cost, right? For you to take my sins upon that cross. He marched on when the cross loomed before him. He did not shrink from it. And that's the one last thing that Jesus points out here. And the last thing we're going to spend our time on this morning in this text. This is not only the way of Christ, but it is the way of His followers as well. One huge mark of Christian discipleship is that we carry the cross and that we follow Him. The way that He walked, we walk. Look at the last thing. The confession applied. The nature of Messiah's mission. Look at verse 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Listen, it's not only the nature of Jesus' kingly reign that needs to be understood by every follower of Jesus, but also the nature of our own life's path on this side of glory, as those who walk and fellowship with the crucified one who is now risen. Now listen, here's the beauty of it. When we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives, the awesome thing is He takes our sin and He gives us His righteousness. Isn't that awesome? That means when God sees us, what does He see? He sees the perfect record of His Son. Amen. We receive all the benefits of Christ's death and His resurrection. But that's not the only thing we receive according to this text. There's another thing we receive. And that's this. Jesus fits us, each of us, listen to this, with our own cross. 
Isn't that interesting? When we get saved and God brings us into his kingdom by his grace, he gives us a gift. We wouldn't see it at the time what that is a gift, but he gives us a cross. And here's what's interesting. A few verses back, Jesus says the Son of Man must suffer, die, and raise from the third day. And now here in the text, he says anyone who comes after me must pick up his cross and follow me. There's no alternative. There's no exception. There's no other option. There's no way out of it. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't, certain, isn't just simply talking about giving up things. You know in Lent, I know, so I grew up in a culture where we did Lent, and it was like, I'm going to give up chocolate cupcakes. Or I'm going to give up this thing. I'm going to give up that thing. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about, oh, and that's the other thing. Let me just mention this real quick. He's not talking about just avoiding any kind of pleasure just for, for pleasure's sake. Okay, God gave us everything to enjoy. Who made taste buds? God did. He could have made it so we just took a pill and we got nutrition. No, he's talking about literally laying our lives down before him the way he laid his life down before his father. It's all about giving up our will to his will. You remember Jesus said, I've come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Well, as true disciples, if you really know Jesus and you're a Christian, then what you're saying is, I've not come to do my own will, but the will of the one who died for me and gave himself up for me. He gave his all. He demands our all. He's saying that we have to sacrifice our will to his will. Look, it's very important to see this. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So notice, this this always hit me every time I've read it, since I've come to know Jesus. Whoever loses his life for me. You get that? In other words, for Jesus. Or another way to put it is because of him. So Jesus is talking about the losses and the crosses we bear because we profess to be his followers. He's not talking about, you know, some, some general suffering that, oh, I guess it's my cross to bear. <laughs> He's not talking about that. Randy Neighbors, a, a fellow pastor, a dear brother, he says, like some people say, their mother-in-law is their cross to bear. He says, your mother-in-law ain't no cross to bear. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the suffering that happens because you follow Jesus. So, for instance, maybe if you're not married, And you say, I love you, I want to be with you, but I'm not going to sleep with you until I get married because I belong to Jesus. That person may say, you know what, then I'm leaving. That's suffering for Jesus. You with me? Or maybe you get in a situation and somebody says, hey, you're not one of those screwy born-again Christians, are you? And everybody turns around and looks to see. And now's your opportunity to say, yes, I am. And you may lose friends. You follow me? Because here's the interesting thing. Jesus literally means some of us will be called to go to a literal cross like he did. Do you know how many of our brothers and sisters have shed their blood because they follow Jesus? And people point out, well, back in the day, in the Apostles' Day, that's when they were martyred. Guess what? Our brothers and sisters are being martyred as I speak all around the world. 
They're being forced to convert to other religions and they're saying we refuse and they are being killed. So it could mean that for you. It could mean that for me. But it certainly entails whatever befalls us because we follow Him and won't deny Him. See, here's the interesting thing. Jesus makes a a very important point. Just a few more moments here and we'll we'll close. The point, point is this. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it. So listen, here's the thing. We can try as hard as we want to save our lives, to go against Jesus and not follow him and get all this world has to offer, but guess what's going to happen? Jesus says this, this is something that's just a fact. You're going to lose your soul. And what does it profit you if you gain everything? You're the most popular person in the universe. You have all the money, pleasures that life could buy, but you lose your very soul. And you'll have to give an account someday for it. You know Jim Elliott's famous words. I'm going to quote him again. He is no fool who gives up what he can't keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's why we joyfully give up our lives for Jesus because we know what we're getting in exchange is a billion times better. Because you know that whole first and second coming thing? Yes, He came first as the Lamb of God who was slain. But guess how He's coming back? The Lion of Judah. And then He will reign. And here's the cool thing, because the text he t- goes on to say that. Well, the cool thing is this. We want justice, don't we? Don't you feel sometimes, how did that guy get away with that? Jesus is saying, don't worry, because justice is coming. <laughs> and it's going to be a lot better and a lot just, more just and a lot more real than any kind of human justice. It's going to be ultimate justice where it's going to be clear what they did wrong. And if they did not repent and believe, then justice, then the vengeance is coming. When the Son of Man comes in all the glory of His angels to give to everyone according to what they have done. Why? Tillerson puts it this way. He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. Why would you not embrace the cross which ends up with life and a crown? Why would you not do that? When the Lord Jesus has come, He has tread that path. Shall we not tread it as well? Why would you not give up whatever He asks you to give up so you can receive glory when He comes again? Amen? Let's pray. We thank You, Jesus, for these wonderful words of life. We thank You that we can earn our salvation, that it's a gift from You. We even thank You for the cross, which focuses us, which gets us back to what really matters, trusting You and obeying You and finding not only life in heaven, but even life here, real life, life that's meaningful, that's substantial that brings joy and peace and ultimate happiness. 
Lord, we pray as a church that as, as the cross looms at time, both corporately and both individually and as well as individually, that we would keep marching forward by faith and by Your grace. And we know that apart from Your Spirit, Lord, we too would shirk. But we also thank You, Lord, for Your forgiveness for the times we have denied You, for the times we have faltered, We thank you that there is even forgiveness for that sin if we would but humble ourselves and embrace you. Be with us now, Lord, and for each and every one in this room, may we give us the grace to embrace your cross and our own cross that you've given us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.